Shock Sports Radio starts now. If Jason Tatum did not miss nine games, Jason Tatum would have been the number one pick in this draft. This guy had the knack, the ability to create his own shot. I, I think Pritchard was asking too much. Danny wasn't willing to give up. And that's just the way it goes. As a GM, your responsibility is to get the best offer out there. Yeah, that's my point, though. I think he's trying to you know, look at his career as a whole and say, I don't want to go 3-9. and nine. What's up, what's up, what's up? What a jam that is. Welcome to Week 23, count it. Week 23, MJ or LBJ, whatever you prefer, of Shark Sports Radio. Alongside of me is Andrew Gifford. As always, he goes by Giffy. And it's yours truly, Mark Loisel Jr., a.k.a. Shark, right here in the Ocean State. What's up, Giff? What's going on, man? Not much, not much. Um, Busy weekend, to be honest. I had a lot to do. Um, so how was your weekend? Obviously with Halloween and, and having a four year old, uh, was fun. She went with the, uh, she went with the retro wonder woman, which was a nice touch. Nice. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like she didn't go with the, with the Elsa or Anna or any of the new stuff. Uh, my wife a couple weeks ago showed her wonder woman and she was like, Oh, I get to have a cape. This is dope. So she, uh, yeah, she went with the, the old school wonder woman and then, uh, it was a nice touch. Went around the neighborhood Drank a bunch of booze. Now it's Monday, so it's all good. That's awesome. I, I always wish you know, I could go back to it and just you know get more creative as a kid. I, I know like I you know went to I party and got you know all these different kits and stuff like that. But I wish I had like as you get older, you get more creative, right? This past Halloween, we didn't do too much. Uh, I think we were Disney goers or something like that this past weekend. Uh, well, we tried. Nice. Um, that's fine, but it's tough, man. You got COVID, you know, it's, it, you can't get as creative, but I mean, it was so much fun in recent years. Uh, my energy just wasn't there this year, but hopefully, uh, hopefully next year. What, what, what's your favorite Halloween costume you ever created? My favorite one. I, so my wife and I were actually, so you remember that, that show back in the, gosh, I think it was early 2010s, the rock of love yes. with Brad Michaels. Yeah. Okay. So I was Brett Michaels, but my wife was the bus. Nice. Yeah. So I I dressed up like Brett Michaels, and uh, luckily my father in law is, is really artistic and creative, and he basically out of like cardboard and stuff like drew a bus. So when we walked into the club that we went to in Boston, it was like I was in the bus, and then she was there too. We yep. had like the bandanas and everything else. It was awesome. I wish I would have kept it, but you know. Alcohol leads to trashing of Halloween costumes. Um, so, but yeah, it was dope. That's probably my favorite one. Yeah, I, I had some classic ones, um, you know, in the past. Uh, Walking Dead character, the villain, I forget his yep. name. Um, I, I was him. I was Bob Ross one year. I was a beer pong table in recent years. I, I think ultimately, you know, as you get older, you just got to get more creative. But um, 
no, I'm glad you had a great weekend. And I think, you know, family time is worth it during this Halloween and COVID. And, you know, we saw a lot of that too. I mean, it's still a lot, of, a lot of trick-or-treaters. So, you know, definitely glad the kids got to live the experience out, especially the, you know, the newers. Um, but um, yeah, as always, you know, you know, we appreciate everyone listening in. As always, you can listen to your Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and your Spotify app. Also, when you get a chance, please write a review and rank our podcast. That would be wonderful. Uh, just a reminder, you can always check us out on Twitter at SSR2019 underscore. And Gift's personal one, I always forget to mention that, is at Andrew G. Five zero seven six eight three six six. Sounds like I'm getting out your phone number, Giff. Um, I wish it was. That, that, that'd be so. That'd be so much better. I should actually probably change it to like my name and my actual phone number and see what type of shenanigans go on. Oh, that would be fantastic. And uh, as well as Facebook too. I mean, you can type in Shark Sports Radio there, like it, comment on the wall, and give us feedback. We always appreciate the feedback from our listeners. So, Giff, I don't know about you. Um, with your Packers losing, it was a kind of a tough week. It was. But my, oh, my, did I enjoy the weekend. You know, watching my Dolphins demolish the Rams, which we'll get into. Um, but also, we have a lot of recapping to talk about. We've got to discuss, you know, the big Week 9 matchups. And also, the trade deadlines tomorrow, November 3rd at 4 p.m. So, there's a lot of enticing topics, too, that we're going to get into on That's BS. So, give you know... Uh, really, we got to get into this because there's a lot to talk about. So let's talk about the state of the NFL playoffs. The floor is yours. Sure. So we'll do. Uh, so we'll do the NFC first. Sure. Um, so these are the playoff standings in the NFC. Now, this is not taking into consideration the Tampa Bay Giants game. Uh, you can kind of imagine how it might go, but I didn't put the. Uh, I didn't put. I didn't add a win or add a loss or anything like that. So this is everything up until. The Tampa Bay New York Giants game. Uh, so right now, uh, number one seed in the NFC is the Seattle Seahawks at six and one. Mm-hmm. Uh, even with a loss, um, the Green Bay Packers are the two seed because right now they hold the tiebreak over New Orleans uh, on their head-to-head matchup on Sunday night about four weeks ago. Three seed is the New Orleans Saints. They hold the tiebreaker over Tampa Bay um, because they beat them first game of the year. Um, Four seed right now is the Philadelphia Eagles because somebody has to come out of that dumpster fire of a division. Uh, five, Arizona Cardinals. Um, they have the five seed because they have a tiebreaker over Tampa Bay based upon um, conference win percentage. Tampa Bay Buccaneers sixth, um, but I imagine if they win tonight, they'll shoot up to the three seed and then New Orleans will go to the sixth. But as of right now, Tampa Bay is the sixth seed. And then the Los Angeles Rams are the seventh seed, and then they hold the tiebreaker over Chicago, who they beat last Monday night. So those are the top seven seeds. So Seattle one, Green Bay two, New Orleans three, Philly four, Arizona five, Tampa Bay six, Los Angeles Rams seven. Now, outside looking in, I just did the two seeds that are outside, mm-hmm. um, the eight and nine. Right now, the Bears are five and three. They're, if the playoffs started today, they would miss the playoffs at five and three, and then the San Francisco 49ers at four and four. So I imagine that the playoffs will look something like this, maybe with the seeds moved around, but obviously at the ninth seed with San Francisco four and four, I don't imagine any other teams really coming out of nowhere. So right. that's for, for right now for the NFC thoughts. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of thoughts. 
Um, on this list, I see definitely a lot of pretenders right now. Um, just over the course of you know the past couple weeks that I've seen, I mean the Rams you know getting demolished by the Dolphins. Uh, Jared Goff is really an above average quarterback, below average maybe. He was trash. He was really really bad, and um, he could not beat the blitz for whatever reason. The offensive line just couldn't read coverages right, and Jared Goff couldn't read the adjustments either. So that's going to impose a problem. And if you know Darrell Henderson, if he can keep his head on straight, he can definitely be a premier back in this league. But they haven't given him enough touches, and the reason why is because they've been down in games. So um, I think it was you, that Gift, that said it early on in the season: is they haven't played you know top talent teams. Like they've kind of gotten a cakewalk early no. on through the season. Correct? Yeah, they. I think their best win. Is probably Chicago, right? Because they like their schedule has been. Um, they lost to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. They beat the Jets. Um, they barely beat the Giants. Um, and I, like I said, their best win is probably Chicago. The rest of the teams that they've beaten are are not very good at all. So, um, yeah, golf was trash. And we'll get into the recap because uh, spoiler alert, that's one of the games that we're going to cover. Just for a shout out to Shark, because you know I imagine. If we if we would have done this podcast, you know, four years by now, um, I imagine the Dolphins probably would have made the recap list like two or three times out of the last four years. Easily. So yeah, so we got to, uh, you know, we got to we got to throw them a bone on that one. But um, yeah, yeah. And if All I right. might get in, I I think the Philadelphia Eagles, they, it it is what it is with the NFC East at this point. So you know, just pick a name out of a hat and whoever wins wins, right? Um, they were impressive for sure, um, you know, early on a little bit in the season, but they fell on back and for, for whatever reason, um, it just seems like every single time Carson Wentz, you know, when the bright lights are on him, he just underperforms and don't get me wrong. Okay. They won. They did win, but Carson Wentz had two picks in that game that were very, very costly. So... If you're telling me that he's your franchise quarterback, Philly, I'm sorry. That's not good news for you. And so I, I think the NFC is a wash. The NFC East. I think it's a wash. I, I don't care who wins, whoever comes out, because they're going to get eliminated anyway. A team, in my eyes, that is borderline um, scary of missing the playoffs is the New Orleans Saints. The Saints, don't, don't get me wrong, Drew Brees, Sean Payton, they get they get what they deserve because where they're at, you know, as as a quarterback coach tandem in NFL history, they deserve where they are. But it just shows to me that Drew Brees really needs a number one wide receiver like Michael Thomas, you know, to have to have that momentum throughout the regular season to make that push in the playoffs. Now we haven't seen it with the Saints in a long time where you know they actually have success in the playoffs long-term success going to the Super Bowl. So I think the the absence of Michael Thomas is hurting the Saints miserably because they should be right now either two or possibly even number one in the NFC if this guy is healthy because Drew Brees has that guy that he can use as a threat because otherwise you're throwing out, you know, Deontay Harris, you're throwing out... Uh, what, Traquan Smith, um, 
Alvin Kamara's getting beaten up, you know, in in the backfield because they're just r- trying to run the ball and he's not getting enough ear, sp- um, you know, enough room. Um, so the offensive line hasn't been there. Jared Cook is doing the best he can possibly do. But the Saints are borderline playoff team for me. I think they could easily fall off in the next, you know, two or three games where this is where this is where it comes down the stretch where you are you are capable of making the playoffs or you're not. And this is midseason form. And I'm sorry, the Saints without Michael Thomas, man, wow, it is brutal to watch. It is tough to watch that team play. Well, I mean, I think you can say that about any number one receiver from any team, right? I mean, anytime you that you lose your number one receiver, um, you know, especially now – it might be more so for New Orleans because Michael Thomas had something like 147, 148 catches last year. Yeah. Um, with like a 96% catch rate or something like something ridiculous like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say it for any team, right? You can say it even though Atlanta's trash. You can say it for Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. You can say it for Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. You can say it for, you know, um, Patrick Mahomes and, you know, pick a receiver, right? So, like, any time a quarterback is going to miss their, their – one of their top weapons, um, it's going to be a little bit difficult. Um, I think for New Orleans, see, they're kind of playing, they're trying to do, kind of, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too a bit because anytime you bet, you know, that you that New Orleans goes on the road and it's an outdoor place and they're not playing indoors. Right. Um, Drew Brees' age kind of shows, um, especially with, you know, Chicago, being, um, you know, windier conditions, he didn't look great. Um, and he's had times this year, you know, the game against um, the Raiders where they got smashed on the road. Um, look, I you can't rely on Michael Thomas because he's been out for more games than he's played this year. Yep. So you kind of are what you are at this point. Um, you know, I don't think the Saints are, are, are a borderline. Play- I think the Saints are going to make the playoffs. I think it just kind of depends upon whether it's them or whether it's Tampa. And the only reason why they say that is I'm looking at their schedule right now. So I was just going to say, I'm looking at their schedule. They, they have an easy, easy down the stretch. I mean, easy they go, road. They go at Bucks, yep. um, home 49ers, home Falcons, at Broncos, at Falcons, uh, at Eagles, home Chiefs, which is obviously a tough one, home Vikings, and then at Panthers. So, like, at, you know, if they're 5 and 2 right now, I don't know. Nine, you know, ten and six, nine and seven. You know, I, I think they'll make the playoffs, but I think they're definitely compromised. Um, and who knows what's going on with Michael Thomas? I mean, you know, he, he's hurt, he's suspended. Who knows? You know, rumblings are coming out of New Orleans, or you know, from the insider game that they might be trying to get out of. You know, all the guaranteed money that they owe. Um, Good luck. If, Good luck. Yeah, well, with that. they can, they can if if he's considered detrimental to the team, and they suspend him for. Um, you know, conduct detrimental to the team, they can actually get out of that guaranteed contract uh, or the guaranteed money that they owe them anyway. So that might be kind of a weird game going on there. Um, Who knows? But I think for me, kind of taking a look at the NFC, um, I, there's not really one team that is strong in three phases of the game throughout the entire NFC, which makes it, pretty wide open to me. I think the NFC is a lot more wide open than the AFC is. Yes. Because even your number one seed in Seattle 
their defense has obviously been suspect. They look pretty good against the 49ers this week, but Jimmy G got hurt, George Kittle got hurt, and it's the 49ers offense, which has been suspect at best. Right. You know, your two seed, Green Bay, they get demolished by Dalvin Cook. Um, you know, let up three touchdowns rushing and a 60-yard basically swing pass and, and poor tackling uh, for a fourth touchdown. So their rush defense is, is suspect, and, you know, they only have Devontae Adams, right? They don't have another option at wide receiver. And I think you just continuously go down the board. You know, Philadelphia plays out of the NFC East. New mm-hmm. Orleans, obviously, we talked about them. Arizona, inconsistency. Tampa Bay, you know, they make a lot of dumb penalties. They're a little bit undisciplined. And then the Rams, they haven't played anybody. So it's not really a runaway team in the NFC. Um, I think that looking at everything like this, I think the team that potentially can be as solid or at least as well-rounded of a team um, is Seattle. And the reason why I say that is because when you have Russ, everything gets easier. And, you know, it doesn't matter if, it, like, Tyler Lockett or David Moore or DK Metcalf, whoever it is, um, they have more options on offense. And I think all, if they are just middle of the pack defensively, I think they can be the most well-rounded team in the NFC. We haven't seen that yet from their from their defense. Yeah, um, I was just going to mention yeah, I mean, I, I but I think if there's a potential of a team to, if they show up the defense being pretty unstoppable, I think it's Seattle. Um, I, and I see gaping holes everywhere else for every other team that's on there. Yeah, it, I think I think a team that could be sneaky. I'm not gonna say you know they're gonna be uh, you know an NFC contender, you know, going to the Super Bowl, but a team that could be sneaky is your the Vikings that just beat you. And the reason why I say that is you look at their schedule moving forward. Aren't they two and five though? What was that? Aren't they two and five? They they are two and five, but you look at their favorable matchups moving forward. Just hear me out. Okay. They had the Lions. Okay. They had the Bears. They have the Cowboys. They had the Panthers. They got the Jaguars. And my computer is being slow. Buccaneers. Bears, Saints, Lions. No, that's not bad. I think they yeah, could. I I think terrible. I think they could get four, five, maybe even six wins. That might be pushing it, but they could easily be an eight and eight, nine and seven type type of team that can make it to the playoffs. Now they yeah. they would have to seriously give. They would have to seriously go on a a major run. Now I'm I'm saying that 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 might not even happen. But a team that could see a lot of potential, Dalvin Cook's getting healthier, uh, Adam Thielen's playing extremely well, Kyle Rudolph, you know, Kirk Cousins has to get going in order for them to play well, but their defense has been solid too uh, the past couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I just think the NFC, I agree with you. In all three phases of the game, there's not one team on this list that intrigued me because Seahawks, Right, the Seahawks defense. You talked about it. They're relying on Russell Wilson to do everything with DJ Metcalf, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett. That cannot happen. Um, your Packers, right? They need help defensively. The Saints, they need help offensively. The Eagles are a mess. Arizona might be slightly, probably the most complete team, and their defense has a lot to to do with that. Um, and Kyler Murray not turning over the ball. 
Um, but for the most part, the Arizona Cardinals could be the most complete team right now in the NFC. And then you have Tampa Bay. You know, you know what they are. Like you said, they're highly penalized. And the Rams are a mess right now. So I, I just look at really the NFC West is a strong division right now. And they're, they're like I said, the Cardinals are definitely, you know, out of, I mean, are in conversation. The Rams, you can kind of boot them out until, until they get their feet back on where they should be. And the 49ers, you know, they lost a bunch of guys. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. There is no team, no complete team, three phases of the game. If there's one team that's close, it's Arizona. So that's all I got to say about the NFC. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's go to the uh, let's go to the AFC. Yeah. Um, so number one seed, Pittsburgh Steelers, 7-0. Um, Kansas City Chiefs, second seed at 7-1. Yep. Buffalo Bills, third seed at 6-2. and two. And then you get into a bunch of 5-2 and two teams. So you got Tennessee at 5-2. and two. Tennessee holds the tiebreaker over Indianapolis as far as um, – Win percentage in their conference. They have yet to play this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got the Baltimore Ravens at five. They have the tiebreak over Indianapolis as far as you know um, win percentage in their conference as far as the seeding goes. Indianapolis Colts at five and two. Cleveland Browns at five and three. Now, outside looking in, I actually think that there can be a little bit more movement from the eight nine positions into uh, the top seven seeds for the playoffs because you got Las Vegas at four and three. And you got your Dolphins at four and three, and we talked last week as far as their schedule going down the stretch. They don't have a hard schedule down the stretch um, by any stretch. Um, no pun intended. Uh, so, I think in the AFC, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's a two-team race, and then I think it's kind of tiers. So, I think you have Kansas City and you have Pittsburgh. Yep, they're kind of one A one B for me. Um, you know, obviously Kansas City stumbled at home against Oakland, but everyone's going to throw a stinker at home. Um, you know, and 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 look, the Steelers have come back the last, or they tried to blow it two weeks ago against Tennessee. This week they came from behind, so they've kind of had their scares. But everybody, every team throws a stinker up at home, so I'm not going to hold that against them. I think it's Pittsburgh, Kansas City, one A, one B, and then kind of everybody else. Um, you know. If I'm going to say anything, I think that the injury to Odell Beckham is going to hurt Cleveland more than they're willing to admit. Great. Uh, because their first, obviously their first full game without OBJ, they throw up six points and they just throw up a stinker at home against Las Vegas. So I think if there's any team that's going to, that's currently in the top seven that are going to kind of fall out of contention, I think it's Cleveland. Um, I don't know what the Raiders' uh, schedule is down the stretch, but I think Miami's got a good shot to get that seven seed. I, I don't, I don't see. I in, it's not inconceivable to me that they somehow get in and get that seven seed because, like I said, their schedule down the stretch is pretty easy. So if they can pull out a nine and seven, um, I think they might be in. So that's kind of that's kind of my opinion on it. Yeah, I mean Miami's they're they're the number one team as far as allowing points per game. I think it's around eighteen. Um, so they are definitely just, uh, you know, a force on the defensive side of the football. And it showed against the Rams. It really did. It opened up my eyes. Um, and I was actually glad, you know, we'll, we'll get into that game. But I was actually glad um, to see the pressure off of Tua 
Um, but I will say there's two teams in my eyes that should be higher than what they are doing right now. And a team that comes to my eyes is the Baltimore Ravens and the Tennessee Titans. Now, we have a tremendous amount of time to go. We do. We have another eight games, right? Um, but, but from the standpoint of you know winning games the right way and finishing off your opponent and just making sure that you don't give them any light, I mean, the Baltimore Ravens had the capability of winning that game. They did. And it just shows to me that there's no trust with Lamar Jackson throwing the football. There's just no trust with him throwing the football. And you heard it from Hollywood Brown. He tweeted about it. He put it on Instagram. He is not satisfied, you know, with being, you know, put on the bench. You know, run some plays for him. He's an explosive guy. And I will, we will get into it with the trade deadline. And, you know, the Ravens are a team definitely that are on my eye. Um, because I think they just they need a couple more pieces to get into the conversation of representing the AFC in the, in the Super Bowl. That is a guarantee. They need to shore up, you know, all the different holes. They need to fulfill those needs because if not, they're going to fall within the three to four range. You know, maybe even five where they're sitting at now, and they will not become a, a, a team in the AFC. Uh, championship game I just don't see what they're doing out there offensively just blows my mind because you cannot run the football that amount of times you've got to get everybody involved and the way that Baltimore made a scare for teams last year was their balanced attack they had Hollywood Brown and they had you know uh, Mark Mark Andrews and they had Marking around the ball with Jake, um, you know, um, I think it was Latavius Murray or no, it was, it was Gavin Edwards. Um, so in, in, in my eyes, man, what they need to do is they need to figure out what they're doing offensively and stick with it defensively because some of the schemes that they're drawing up is horrific. And they need to actually play with a purpose because right now the Steelers are showing who's boss. And it is ugly. It is ugly for the Ravens. And I know it's a long way, but, man, I expected more out of this team this year. And that, that's just my perspective. Yeah, but you know what, though? Like, I, the Ravens were up 17-7 in that game, right? And, and, and they obviously, um, you know, Lamar threw a, a pick six first play of the game. Um, but, they, they, you know, they were up 17-7 in that game. And I think um, we'll get into it here a little bit later. Yeah. But, dude, they ran the ball for over 200 yards. They they ran for, like, I think it was, like, 220, 230 yards. So I don't know if the scheme is all that bad because they were in a position to where they were leading. They were leading the Steelers, you know, in the second half. So I think, I, I think defensively they're fine. Because they, they still have games against Cincinnati and Cleveland that they can kind of, you know, right the ship. Right. Um, but I, I just, Man. Lamar doesn't look like, yeah, Lamar doesn't look like the same guy to me. The, the, and I don't know whether that's confidence-wise, if he's lost confidence in the scheme. Yes. Or he wants to throw the ball more. He just doesn't look like the same dude to me um, And then, than last year. And I think if that offense is going to go anywhere, it's going to be through him. And he needs to be playing with full confidence because 
they don't have a they don't have a lot of skill guys around him. Right. That can bail him out of a of a bad game. Now, J.K. Dobbins might be that guy. He had a really good game against the Steelers, and if they want to ride him um, and to be their feature back, great. But he needs to be very efficient for them to be anything offensively, because they've they they restructured their whole offense to fit his you know um, to hit fit his spread skill set, and if he's not good, they're terrible. So I think. Um, he has to be. He just doesn't look like the same guy to me, confidence wise or what have you. So I think that's definitely going to hurt him down the stretch. For sure, and, and uh, it's it's actually Gus Edwards. I apologize uh, for the running back for Baltimore. The schedule, yeah, the schedule for Baltimore again. I keep butting myself in the ass because you know I I didn't I didn't it didn't feel like the Baltimore Ravens have this easy of a schedule. They're playing the Colts, the Patriots, the Titans. Steelers, okay, that's tough, right? Then you got the Cowboys, Browns, Jaguars, Giants, Bagels. They could easily, they could easily be eleven and five, ten and six. Um, but again, I agree with you, and, and this is where this is where you know the the men, the boys become men, right? Where Lamar Jackson steps up like he did last year and put up those serious numbers. He, he has took a step back, and I agree with you. He looks extremely uncomfortable out there. And I don't know what it is. Um, like I said, I don't know if they have zero, like, trust in him throwing the football because of what he did, you know, in, in the playoffs last year. It was just kind of messy. Um, or if it's more so about running what they feel is right. And I'm going to go back to it. We talked about it. Pittsburgh Steelers' run defense is one of the best in the league. And again, you said it. They ran, what, 265 yards? Right? So we're going to jump right into it again. We're going to go into the Steelers and Ravens uh, recap. If you want to break it down, talk to talk about it, and then we'll figure out you know what the highlights are and where we'll go from there. Sure. Sounds good. Um, so, yeah, so Pittsburgh – they, uh, they go into Baltimore and get a big win. Um, obviously, coming off of last week, um, Pittsburgh almost blowing a you know three-touchdown lead against Tennessee and then having to turn it right back and go into, uh, into Baltimore. Um, so, like I said, it was the opposite of last week's game with Tennessee. Um, they were up early, let Tennessee get back into it, squeaked out a win. This one was a straight-up comeback. Um, they were down 17-7 to in the second half. Yes. Um, out court Baltimore 20, 21-7 in the second half. Three lead changes in the final 17 minutes of the game. Um, Steelers scored 14 points off of turnovers. Um, two Lamar Jackson picks, both leading to touchdowns. One was a pick six. Um, the other was a pick, and then two plays later they scored. Um, they're actually their first – Pittsburgh's first two touchdowns in the game were off of Lamar Jackson interceptions. Uh, both of the interceptions were in his own territory. Um, the, obviously, the first one was a pick six, the first or second pass of the game. And then the second one was in the third quarter um, where, you know, Ravens go down there and at least kick a field goal or score a touchdown. You know, it's a completely different ball game. Right. Um, final stats for Lamar. Um, okay, so-so. 13 out of 28, 208 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, like I said, the one pick six. Um, the Ravens ran the ball really well. They had 47 rushes for 265 yards. Uh, 5.6 yards a carry and one touchdown. Um, so 
they had the recipe. If you actually look at the stats side by side, no one on Pittsburgh really had a good game. Um, ben didn't have any turnovers, which was a plus because he had three interceptions the week before. But if you look at the stats side by side, Baltimore should have won this game. Agreed. Because that's their game, to run the ball, option. Um, J.K. Dobbins had a really good game. I think it was 115 yards off of 10 or 11 carries. I think he averaged you know, close to six, seven, eight yards a carry. Um, but this is their game. So I think what it ultimately comes down to is the turnovers from, from Lamar. Um, like I said, two interceptions, both in his own territory, um, one for a pick six, and then one to kind of let Pittsburgh back into the game uh, in the third quarter. Um, look, I mean, the final stats for Big Ben, 21 out of 32, 182 yards, um, two touchdowns. Um, so – I think, honestly, um, not, nothing jumps off the page as far as, um, you know, as far as the Steelers go. So I think the turnovers were, were kind of it for, for Baltimore. Um, like I said, the, the interception in the second half, um, third quarter, uh, Alex Highsmith picks him off. Two plays later, you know, Pittsburgh gets back into the ball game. And then, um, you know, I, as far as the end of the game, um, I don't think that was that was pass interference on the last play of the game. Dude, um, make a Fitzpatrick. Make a Fitzpatrick did one hell of a job. That was a great play. Um, that was a great play from Minka, and, and he got there right where the ball did. So yes. I, I honestly don't think that that's, that's pass interference at all. Um, you know, and listen, you had a chance. You had a chance to, to go up early in the third quarter. Um, so I think, honestly, this is, um, you know, it's it's on Lamar. This one's on Lamar. Um and, and again, this is the second kind of you know gaff for him for the year, you know, because yeah. he got he got straight up outplayed from Pat Mahomes on that Monday night game, and then um, you know Big Ben, I wouldn't say outplayed him, but he Big Ben was more efficient uh, with the ball, um, no picks, and um, yeah, I think this is another growing painful Lamar, so we'll see how he bounces back from it. But again, if you can't rely on a, a consistent passing attack, if um, you know and a, and it's not like Pittsburgh stuffed the run either. Like they gave you 265 yards. Correct. You know, you just had to play efficient and within himself, and he still threw the picks down the end. Yeah, and I'm gonna go back to it. Lamar is sitting at the kitty table, man. I I just look at it as you know, Pat Mahomes, and you know, look at Ben Roethlisberger, and you know, even Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, even sometimes when he goes off and he has his MVP numbers, you know, you kind of look at it and say, okay. Can Lamar Jackson actually throw the football? Because Michael Vick was really good on his feet, but he could toss the rock too around. His deep his deep ball was uh, accurate and precise. My worry, if I'm Baltimore Ravens, is you're investing in a quarterback that is only truly good at running the football. Can he throw the football? And we've seen it plenty of times. Sure, when, when the defense is Swiss cheese, he can do it. He can do it, Gav. But when you throw those INTs and those, it doesn't matter. I, I will say this. If you have four touchdowns and two interceptions, that doesn't look bad on the stat sheet. But when you have two touchdowns and two interceptions, and on top of that, it's timely fashioned. So when do these turnovers come about? Because it, it shows that really Lamar Jackson can't close when it matters if he keeps having these relapses. And again, when you go up against the you know Kansas City Chiefs, you got to bring your A game. When you go against the Pittsburgh Steelers, you can't make turnovers happen. 
You can't. You got to keep the ball. You got to p- keep possession of that football in order to be successful in this league. Turnovers and timely turnovers are never good in football. The team that doesn't turn over the football usually wins. That's always the saying. And I'm looking at it right now, like you said, Roethlisberger, 21 32, 182 yards, two touchdowns. How many turnovers? Zero. That is exactly why the Pittsburgh Steelers won that game. That is exactly why. Yep, 100%. Um, so I'll just give you the floor for this one. Okay. And you you, you go nuts. Um, you know, thump your chest. Um, you know, throw out Bob Greasy's name. Throw out Don Chula. Throw out, you know, uh, whoever you want. Uh, Jay Fielder, Chad Pennington, whoever oh. you want. Go ahead. And uh, the, the, the floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, I, I just love the Fox QB chart. Did you see that during the game? How, like, there was, no, I missed like, it. Oh, yeah. Dude, there was, like, 20 quarterbacks on that screen. And I think it was four quarterbacks are active on that screen. And well, you know that was coming, too. Right? Exactly. Like, you I'll, know that was coming. That was pregame production written all over it. Let's get the yeah. entire Miami Dolphins uh, QB chart um after Dan Marino days and don't get me wrong Giff okay it was a great win it was a great win the second half was awful the second half was just not aspiring to me when I look at Tua Tungavaloa not being able to throw the ball accurate you know not being able to you know have guys catch the ball from Tua it seemed like they were so comfortable with that 28 you know, to 10 kind of lead, and they got close. It was 28-17, right? So in my eyes, the defense played well. The defense played tremendous to that point. They played incredible. They forced Jared Goff to make indecisive decisions. It was turnover central, and Brian Flores has Jared Goff and um, McVay's number, hands down, all the way back from Super Bowl when the Patriots and Rams play against each other. He has their number, and every single time they go up against each other, he just comes out and performs way better. This was not the Tua show. This is not the Tua show everybody should be inspired by. This is exactly three phases of the game doing what they're supposed to do and finishing the game. That was a great team win, and again, I know the offense for Miami didn't really touch the ball at all in the first half. It was more about the defense, you know, just exploding on that offensive line and just throwing those players all over the place. But don't get me wrong, there was a lot of lapses that I saw out of Tuatunga Valoa that do concern me. Um, But let's just say let's get his feet wet. We'll see what he does against Arizona because I think that's going to be a huge game and a huge statement game going against Kyler Murray. But let's pump the brakes when we say that the Dolphins are back. Um, because, and again, I'm going to play negative Nancy because of what I saw out there. I'm just going to be a realist. I do like the defense. Their special teams is tremendous. Matt Hawk can punt anywhere in the five-yard line, Mark. And then also, you know, Jason Sanders is playing out of his mind from a field goal perspective. He's been, he was uh, AFC special teams player of the week the previous week. So... I'm just going to say it. Brian Flores doesn't want to hear about Tua Tonga Valoa anymore. He wants to hear about the Miami Dolphins. And the Miami Dolphins made a statement defensively against the LA Rams. If this score uh, gift was 
let's say 40, 49 to 17, then I'll say, okay, I, I, I am a full believer in Tua Tungavaloa. But the Miami Dolphins, which we will get into the trade deadline, they have got to have a balanced attack. If they don't have a balanced attack, which we saw in that second half, when Miles Gaskin kept running for two or three yards on first down and second down, and then you have two with Thorne on third, and then it's punt. That That's exactly what the repetitions were in that second half. And to, for me, it was not it was not like glorious to see that happening. I wanted to see some kind of rhythm, some kind of momentum. I, I think they're uh, – uh, sorry, third down conversion percentage was like below 20. They just didn't complete on third third down. So, I'm like I said, I'm going to pump the brakes when it comes to this victory because I got to see more out of Tunga Velo. He's got to bring it into, into this Arizona game and further on the remainder of the season. You got your touchdown. You got your happiness with Devontae Parker. Go out and show me what you can do. Do three times that work, and I, I will give you the tip of the cap. But as far as winning the game, great. Great job, Dolphins. Great job playing against the L.A. Rams, who definitely played the weaker of the opponents before you you know, you know played them. So in my eyes, it's a good win. It's not a great win. That's how I look at it. I feel like we need to go ahead and do like a womp, womp yeah. after that. All right, hold on a second. You're talking, all right, you're talking like Miami has been in the playoffs and been consistently 9-7, 10-6 for the past four years. Right. Okay? Before Flores got there, I was an absolute dumpster fire of an organization. Agreed. Okay? So, enjoy it. For the love of God. You're like, I understand that you're, you're, you, you live in New England, but you don't have to act like a Pats fan when you're dealing with the Miami Dolphins. Okay? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not though. I, Be happy. No, I am. Gif. When, when was the last time you guys were above 500, like halfway through the year? Gif, I am happy. I am happy. But when you don't sound like it, I, I am. But I, Dude, I t- to his first start against Aaron Donald, who is an eater of quarterback souls. Their offensive line did play well. But they had no running game. So that that's what kind of scares me. Is when you have no running game and then you throw all the weight onto Tua's shoulders, that's where Tua can either get injured or he can make the wrong decision. Okay, but they, they did the recipe for a young quarterback. All the other phases of the game picked him up. That's okay. what happens when you start a young quarterback. That's why Joe Burrow has had the issues that he's had. Right. They don't have a defense. They don't have an offensive line. And they don't have a special teams um you know, phase of the game that can pick him up. This is what you do with a young quarterback if he's going to succeed early. You can go through all of the different quarterbacks. You can go through Joe Flacco, Ben Roethlisberger. Um, you know, like those quarterbacks who start young when their first couple of years in the league. Even mm-hmm. Brady. Look at Brady when they when they made the Super Bowl run. Special teams, defense, don't turn the ball over. Yeah, all okay, three look, phases. All three phases. All three phases. So. Now look, he got introduced in the to Aaron Donald first dropback pass, sack fumble leads to a touchdown for the Rams. But to now, that's the only negative thing I'm I'm gonna say. Here are the next seven possessions for the Rams in the first half: punt, interception, punt, fumble return for touchdown, punt, punt return for touchdown, interception, fumble. So from the first 
drive of the game after the sack fumble from Aaron Donald. Then they got outscored 28 points, and that was the ball game. Right. Okay? Yep. So this is a better win. Now, look, Tua's going to get all the headlines. He had pretty pedestrian numbers, 12 out of 22, 93 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions, sacked ones, fumbled ones. Okay, Tua's going to get the headlines. But I think for the long-term gain of your organization, the fact that the other two phases of the game were able to pick him up and then really take on a Rams team. Now, look, record-wise, they were up there. As far as who they've played competition-wise, that's pretty suspect at this point. Right. But it's a statement. It's a statement win. It, it First is. quarter. Yeah. But just enjoy it. Enjoy it. No, no. And what do you I, Houston's first and second round picks next year too. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I am not saying I am. I am enjoying it. I I like that Dolphins win. I told you, but what I didn't like is the second half when I saw you know run, run, pass, run, run, pass every single time. And then that we, was out of the Belichick Flores playbook. Get out of there with the win. You know your defense is shutting them down. You know Goff has officially pooped his pants. You're literally getting out of there with a win because you know you have Tua in his first start. Okay, agreed. Just, you're that was that was the prototypical young quarterback. We have a big lead. Let's not throw this away. And Goff officially pooped his pants, and he's not going to be able to bring him back. Correct. Okay? So correct. It, it, that's that's exactly what that was. The and I totally agree. The recipe was there, and they made it happen. Okay. My point is. And two phases out of three really stepped up, right? I, I will give Tua credit that he did it when it mattered. When when we needed to close drives out with the touchdown, he did it. Miles Gaskin had a running touchdown, and he threw a, a touchdown to Devontae Parker. But I need to see more out of Tua Tungvaluwa. It's his first start. I, I, I understand but just the, I guess, the decisions that... How can you see more when there hasn't been more already? It's his first no, start. But, but what I'm saying is the offensive playbook just kind of struck me. And that's it. I'm just going to say that I like the way that they played the first half. I was not satisfied with the way that they played the second. And now I understand because that's the way that the Patriots played when Brian Flores was the defensive you know, coordinator and linebackers coach. You know, I just, I just want to see a little more. And maybe we get that in Arizona. And I'm going to definitely be happy with this win. Don't get me wrong. I told you, special teams stepped up. Defense is by far the best in the league when it comes to defensive allowance of scoring. So I'm going to say they just need a little bit help offensively. You know, Preston Williams dropping balls. Miles Gaskin dropping balls. Devontae Parker was nowhere to be found in the second half. It just kind of felt like I was watching the first half the entire game and there was no second. And, and coming, coming, coming away with the victory is huge. I get it. Four and three and we're you know back in the playoff hunt. But I'm not going to you know overreact and be like, yeah, we're back on track. I got to see more. I, I want to see more. I want to see consistency across the board because there are times where you hit you. You can hit rock bottom, but you got to step up. And they, they have faced this adversity in the past where, where they, you know, go on streaks and then they can't hold it. And, and it's a new regime. Don't get me wrong. It's a new regime, new coach, new players. But they have a definitely defensively sound defense that's top tier in this league and is now getting recognized 
which I said in the beginning, their defense is going to be their catalyst. Now let's see what Tua can do moving forward, and then I will give you exactly what I feel, you know, come three or four games down the road. I'm happy with the win, but I got to see more. That's all I'm going to say. Let's move on because you pumped up his 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 uh, his hype video, uh, and you're just like, oh, I need to see more from him. You I do. Sad shark. You just made me sad. I, I, I do need sad. to see more. <laughs> just made me sad. We right, only we only twenty two attempts. Twenty two attempts out of this kid. That's his first start. First start against Aaron Donald, the eater of souls. Are you serious? They got to win. You're okay. fine. You're okay. above five hundred. For the first time in this in this part of the year for like five years. Pat, You're fine. pat on the back. Pat on the back. All right. So, quick shout-outs before we get to um, yeah. um, some of the intriguing games for Week 9. Um, hey, look at Cincinnati. Okay, so here's, so here's the thing with Cincy. Um, this is what you can – now, here's the thing. If you get a line in front of Joe Burrow, if you get some – some balance for him so he doesn't have to throw the ball 60 times a game. Here's the potential of what you can see, right? So shout out Cincinnati Bengals. They beat the Titans 31 to 20. So here's their stat line as an offense. No sacks given up, no turnovers, Mm -hmm. two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, seven different receiver caught balls yesterday. And I'm pretty sure AJ green was like the fourth leading receiver. So, this is what to expect. This this is a glimpse. So if that sieve of an offensive line can put together this sort of performance, if you start to put some guys in front of Joe Burrow, here's what can happen. Through two touchdowns, didn't turn the ball over, didn't fumble the ball. Okay, so good win by them yesterday. Yep. I think it's a good building block win for them. This is the potential of what can happen in the future. If you put a defense, you know, in Cincinnati and you put a decent you know, supporting cast and offensive line around Joe Burrow. Yeah, it's a um, huge win for Cincinnati. I agree with yeah, you on that. For sure. Now, so Las Vegas Raiders defense yesterday beat Cleveland 16-6. to um, I say the defense because six total points. Uh, Baker Mayfield kept them under 50% completion percentage, just over 100 yards rushing, no touchdowns. Good win for them. That puts them in the playoff hunt. And then um, I had to do a quick shout-out to Devontae Adams because the Packers lost yesterday. But just look at this stat line for the past two games. Last two games, 20 catches, 247 yards, five touchdowns. Now this Stunning. Will, this will segue into my That's BS segment later on down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, but just want to shout-out to him um, because right around the goal line yesterday, he's pretty much the only guy that – that Aaron Rodgers look for, but um, correct. Yeah, we'll we'll save that for for the segment later. So, um, if you want to hit um, the first uh, intriguing game for for Week Nine, um, and just before we get into it, this is such a bummer because can you imagine the flaming table videos that we would get out of Buffalo oh. if this was actually being played in front of fans? Be incredible, It'd be insane. Oh, it'd be yeah. incredible. Um, yeah, so we got Seattle Seahawks at Buffalo Bills. It's a 1 p.m. game. You got the NFC number one seed versus the AFC number three seed. Um, the Seattle Seahawks DVOA rankings is number two ranked offense and then number 28 ranked defense. Buffalo Bills DVO rankings is number 12 ranked offense and then number 21 ranked defense. This is going to be... Um, a really dog fight. This is going to be a really good game to watch. I have a feeling. Um, 
Josh Allen again is just you know he's playing at a high level and he's coming up you know he's coming off a really good win and I I just can't fathom you know what he's doing with this offense and he's having fun doing it. You saw him last year; he was kind of you know you know taken by the wings with uh, Sean McDermott and you know they made it to you know high success in the playoffs last year. But when it when it comes down to progression. I think this is a quarterback where we can say, wow, he has developed and he knows this offense and he can trust his defense and special teams. And, and Buffalo is, it, I'll tell you what, they're a team that you should not be laughing about. They're a team that you should be taken seriously about. Um, they can definitely make some noise in the AFC. And I tell you right now, this game, if they beat the Seahawks, this is by far one of the biggest statement games, I think, for them this year. Um, obviously Kansas city was one of them going, going up against them was a tough opponent. Kansas city came away with that victory, but Seattle, if you can beat them now, I get it. They have a terrible defense ranked number 28 in the league, but they have a guy behind, you know, their line that can, you know, just improv with the best and keep plays alive. I'd like to see Josh Allen go toe to toe with this guy and come away with a victory. And I, I think it's within him, and I think he has solid weapons around him to definitely make some noise. You know, you got John Brown, you got Stephon Diggs, you got uh, Devin Singletary, and, and the, he's making the most of what he has. And, and their defense is really playing top tier, too. I mean, they're probably in the middle of the pack. But when it comes to, you know, really clutch times, they, they know how to perform. So I wouldn't be shocked, Giff, if Buffalo comes away with a victory against Seattle, and that is a huge, huge statement if they come away with that victory. Yeah, I mean, I think this is Josh Allen's um, opportunity to kind of cement himself as far as the leader and the quarterback of the Bills moving forward because this is a type of game to where you know Russ is going to bring it. You know that you're going to have to score points to keep up with Russ because given the stats and given the way that Buffalo's defense has performed so far. Um, they've underperformed, and they have, and they've had a bunch of injuries. So you have to be perfect in order to keep up with Russ and with DK Metcalf and with Tyler Lockett and with everybody in Seattle. Correct. Okay, so you can't have the bad interceptions that you had against against um, against the Pats yesterday. You can't have those bad throws. You can't have those you know drives that go three and out. You have to be perfect in order to keep up with Seattle. So this is the litmus test. And again, you beat New England at home. You've lost seven straight to them. Good on you, right? You've had some some signature wins. But if you're going to be the team, the next team of the you know next five, six, seven years in the AFC East, you're going to have a lot of games like this. And your quarterback, especially when you're going up against Russ, um, you need to perform. And you, and you need to be perfect. You absolutely need to be perfect in order to keep up with Seattle and with that offense. So just as so Josh Allen's last four games averages 211 yards a game and four touchdowns and four interceptions. That's total. Given that comparison to Russ, whose last four games he's averaged 306.5 yards a game, 12 touchdowns, five picks. Granted, he threw three of those against Arizona, but um, Josh Allen has some making up to do. And I think he needs to he needs to be perfect in order for Buffalo to uh, to um, yeah to, to make out. Um, 
<sighs> if I were to if I were to make a prediction, I think Seattle. We love wins predictions. Think, we love predictions. I think, I think Seattle wins just because I trust Russ more than I trust Josh Allen. That's just me. Uh, I think it's a shootout, though. I think you'll see something like 37-34. It should be a fun game, which is such a bummer that um, you know there's no there's no uh, Buffalo fans that are going to be there because again, the flaming table videos would have been phenomenal. Oh, been incredible. And I will I will say for Josh Allen, take notes, take notes of Russell Wilson, what he does great, because you can definitely implement that into your game, and that becomes you be even like a huge weaponry. Uh, type of player that you want to lead your team into the, deep into the playoffs because last year he made it to the playoffs they beat the Houston Texans right and then you know they 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 played pretty competitively in the second game I, I forget who they played as either the Titans or one of the two um, but w- when I look at the Buffalo Bills and what they're capable of doing is they they need like you said they can't turn over the ball. And they need to bring their game against uh, Seattle Seahawks, um, you know, defense too. Their defense is pretty bad, the Seahawks. So, Josh Allen, if there's any way that you can get out of this game, have a shootout. Have this game be a 38-35 to 35 type of game. And we'll, we'll see who comes out with the victory. Um, Giff, you want to take away with the Saints and Bucks? Yeah, so um, next Sunday night, um, you got New Orleans going into Tampa. Um, Five and two against five and two again. Uh, Bucks are playing right now on Monday night. They're actually losing to the Giants seven three in this just at the beginning of the second quarter. So we'll see how how that um, shakes out during the end. Um, so the Saints, their DVOA ranking seventh in total offense, tenth uh, in total defense. Um, the Bucks sixth in total offense, first in total defense. Um, this is a rematch of uh, Week One. Uh, New Orleans beat Tampa Bay thirty four twenty three. Obviously, the first game for Tom Brady uh, in a Tampa Bay uniform. Okay, stats. Um, 239, two touchdowns, two picks. One pick, six that kind of swayed momentum uh, during that ball game. Uh, in the same game, Drew Brees, 18 for 30, 160, two touchdowns, no picks. Um, I think the key to the game is does New Orleans have the same uh, – do they have the firepower to keep up with with Brady uh, and the boys? Um Obviously, with Michael Thomas being a giant question mark, um, Emmanuel Sanders going into you know COVID um, category, um, who do they have? I mean, they got Kamara, Taysom Hill, I guess. Traquan um, Smith, Deontay Trey Harris. Smith. But do you you need the guys in order to keep up um, with Brady? Um, so I think that'll be the kind of biggest biggest thing to the game. Is um, I think it'll be a shootout. Um, I see Tampa pulling this one out just because I don't trust any – not in a dome and withers outdoors. I just – I don't trust Breeze now. Um, and he's not going against the Chicago Bears who, you know, seem to um, always throw up on themselves uh, during down the stretch. And I'm not saying my Packers are any better because they're not. But it seems like whenever the, the Bears kind of get down to nut-cutting time, they just kind of – throw up on themselves a little bit sure um so they crap their pants they they do it all the time but i will i will say um they play tremendous defense against drew Brees. i i want to see what what's going to come down to this game for me gif is the saints defense against the buccaneers i i ultimately think that a pass rush can scare tom brady we've seen it 
when Tom Brady goes against you know a tough pass rush, he definitely gets vulnerable and worries about him making the wrong move. And I think the Saints' defense does have that ability, especially in the front seven, and their secondary you know imposes a will you know to to force turnovers. So in in my eyes, I really think what it comes down to is the Saints you know buckling down defensively and not letting Tom Brady become one to uh, make him become one dimensional dimensional that offense stop the run and force Tom Brady to to make those type of throws and force him to throw uh, make him throw turnovers what I think ultimately comes down to is Alvin Kamara you know has a big game I, I think he you know turning over the ball is 1a on the list of importance for the Saints if they don't turn over the ball they will win this game and I think I have more faith and Drew Brees not turning over the ball than Tom Brady uh, against a defense like the Saints. I think the Saints are a very forcible team, as if you get in Tom Brady's head, you can make the most of that opportunity. And this is a division game. These two these two teams are five and two. And, you know, and you know, depends on what the Bucs do tonight. But going into this game, there is high importance to win this game. And we have just seen it time and time again where Drew Brees finds a way to win with Sean Payton. So I expect this Saints defense to come at Tom Brady and see what he's truly made of against a really tough defense. So I think that's going to be a huge X factor you know, going to the, into the game. Um, we have trade deadline talk. Tomorrow is the deadline. I think it's around 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Uh, I, I think there's going to be some moves made. You know, some moves made today, you know, 49ers trade Quan Alexander to the New Orleans Saints for the fifth round pick and Kiko Alonso. And then also the Titans acquired, um, you know, cornerback Desmond King from the LA Chargers for a 2021 sixth round pick. It's a great get by Tennessee and it's a tremendous add by the, the Saints as well. Um, I, I want to talk really quickly, Giff, before we get into the teams that we may you know, feel feel out the trade market is I think COVID is going to have a lot to do with this trade deadline. I I just can't you know get over the fact that teams have these players going in and out of the locker rooms, the offices. You know, um, there's just a lot of imbalance going on, and and you know I just feel like there won't be as much changes because teams don't want to make that move. They don't want to take that risk. Um, so I won't be shocked if, if there's not as many, you know, trades that happen as we think, um, especially with the, you know, the COVID situation, like I said, going on, but ultimately I think a lot of teams want to keep their depth too. Um, depth is huge going into the playoffs and even in the playoffs. If somebody gets hurt, you got somebody step up, right? And we've seen it time and time again, where, you know, you have running backs get hurt. Well, the guy steps in and he does great. You know, Damian Williams, for example, you know, that guy stepped in perfectly for Kareem Hunt when they were going through that situation, and the Chiefs did not give up on him. So I, I just ultimately want to say that there won't be as much movement as we think. Um, but if you want to get into, you know, teams that you could see make a move and, you know, who the players might be on the radar. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think COVID will definitely have something to do with it, not only for the I imagine there's probably going to have to be a, a string of COVID tests that they'll have to 
be negative in order for them to come into the locker room Correct. And, um, and, and, and get acclimated with everybody. But I think it's going to be a financial thing too. You know, I think some teams might not want to spend the extra money. And again, I know, you know, we're halfway through the year, so we're only going to have to pay half their salary, but who knows? They might not want to pay it. Um, so, but I'll, um, I'll start off with the Packers. Um, their needs have been the same thing for two years, um, all the way from last year and at the beginning of this year, and then in halfway through the year this year. They, they have the same needs. They need a, another option at wide receiver to complement Devontae Adams because, you know, as I mentioned, his stats the past two games have been phenomenal, but they come up a little bit short against Minnesota. Why do they come up short against Minnesota this week? They can't stop the run. Um, the Packers are built to go up early um, and, and, and they play ahead where a team has to throw the ball because their defense is geared up towards Mike Pett has always been to blitz the quarterback and it has been a pass first defensively oriented defense. So when you have a team who's going to control the ball and who's going to run the ball, that typically a three, four front, um, they don't know what to do. So they need to run stuffer. Um, you know, some potential options for them could be Quinn and Williams from the, the New York jets. Um, or it could be Shelby Harris from Denver. I know Shelby Harris is at the end of his rookie deal, yep. but I think he only owed 2 million bucks. Um, but obviously they cut that in half because we're halfway through the year. So a million bucks that might help. Um, or if they wanted to go wide receiver, you know, I've heard Will Fuller. Um, the thing about Will Fuller is, is that I would be a little bit apprehensive about trading for him now because he hasn't gotten hurt yet. Cause it's not a sense of if he'll get hurt, it's when, when, yeah. If he's already played eight games without getting hurt, that's eventually going to happen. So honestly, I I would rather, if I had my choice, I'd rather them go after a run stuffer for a defensive tackle because I think that they can figure out offensively um, what to do. Um, but if you're going to go against a, you know, who knows, Minnesota might make the playoffs, or if you're going to go against a, a San Francisco, or you're going to go against um, a team who, you know, has some good options um, at, at running back, you need to be able to stop the run. So if I had my druthers, I'd rather have them go for a, a defensive stopper um, for defensive tackle. Um, but then, but again, they've had the same needs for two years. And now, do I think they're actually going to pull the trigger on anything? No, because the Packers have both in free agency and in trades have very rarely traded for anybody or gone after free agents over the past. Now, look. Not this past off season, but the one before that, they got Adrian Amos, they got Darius Smith, they got Preston Smith, mm-hmm. but they really value their draft capital, and the only way that they're going to get any of those guys is to give up a pick. I don't see them doing it. I see them letting riding it out the way that it is. Um, but yeah, if if I were to go for anybody first, it'd be uh, it'd be a run stuffer. Yeah, I was going to ask you. I put you on the spot. Um... You know, every time I, I go into the office at, at work with you, um, it's always a question of, well, what, what are they going to do this off season, Or when, what are they going to do in the draft? What are they going to do with the trade deadline? And nothing ever happens. And it, it just shows to me it's, it's, it's a sign of disrespect when it comes to Aaron Rodgers and his timeline. When, when you have a guy, you know, that is, you know, a very good player, 
and he has the capability of making everyone else better around him, you can't give him, a, you know, a bag of trash and say, go for it. You, you need to fulfill his needs, whether that's, you know, getting a guy on the offensive football offensive side of the football that can catch the football or ultimately get, like you said, a run stopper. In my eyes, what the bigger need is, yes, I agree with you, it's a run stopper, but my goodness, do they need another receiver. I, I feel like Devontae Adams is doing everything possible you know, to keep the Packers in these games when he is healthy. And ultimately, it's going to you know come at, at a time where you know, it's the wear and tear on the body. Can can he keep up what he is doing right now? And the answer to that is most certainly, but if this guy's dealing with so many injuries, once you want another threat that can ultimately give this Packers team a chance to win? So I, I just think s- stop wasting Aaron Rodgers' timeline and figure out what actually you should get at the deadline. Make that move. I don't care if you have to mortgage the future in a way. You ultimately got to make the smart decision, and you got to play with Aaron Rodgers' window, and that's what you got to do. You got to go out and get a guy that is on the offensive side that can catch football and you know go for touchdowns and at the same time stop the run. So I am there with you, Giff, and I totally agree. Bouncing off to the Dolphins, we saw on Sunday when they just couldn't really run the football. I think that's a major flaw. Especially if you want Tua to succeed as the quarterback, as your man under center that you have faith in, which I ultimately do too, but I need to see more, is ultimately he needs a balanced attack. And he got that with the Alabama Crimson Tide. I heard it on the postgame show on Fox, or it was at halftime, and I think it was Michael Strahan's. He said it right. He said, Tua Tungavaloa has always been given a great defense and running game. And that has always been true. At Alabama, they are known for that. They are not known for quarterbacks. And so I think that he ultimately needs a running game in order to make this offensive run the way he wants to run it. And and the defense is always going to be top tier. It's going to be top five at the end of the year. This Miami defense is going to show people and prove them wrong, ultimately. So a, a guy that I can see maybe the Dolphins making a run at, especially if Dallas is willing to make a move, is Tony Pollard. I, I love this kid. I, I, every time I watch him in Dallas, he seems to be the better running back of the two. Now, Zeke Elliott, he's going to come at a high price point and a higher price tag. So do you want to take that risk? And do you want to you know, go for that salary cap? They have like $17 million on the cap to do so. But ultimately, what you're going to be relying on is the future of the NFL cap and the revenue. It's going to be uh, definitely affected and if you use all that money, you don't necessarily know what that cap's going to look like in this next offseason. So you're right, Giff, when you say a lot of teams are going to be playing the cautious game with the cap because they don't necessarily know what's going to happen to the future. And that's one thing that the Dolphins have is money for $17 million. But do you go out and risk that money for a guy like Zeke Elliott, who one, has fumbled the football how many times this year? Instead, I would want... A, a duo kind of hybrid uh, running back, a guy that can catch balls and run through you know the op- open uh, field, like a guy like Tony Pollard. So ultimately, I don't think Dallas does it because I think Tony Pollard could become the future if Dallas wants to trade Zeke Elliott. But I would definitely make a run. See, hey, you know, 
can I give you a Houston second round pick for him or third round pick and see what they say? Because moving forward, that running back position is so key for Tua Tungvalu's success with the Miami Dolphins this year. He's going to need that offensive game from a running back standpoint and the defense. So I agree. I think what they put on the show on Sunday is exactly what they should do with the young quarterback, but they need a running game. And so I think getting a running back, they're fine with every other position. I, I am totally set on with what they have offensively for weapons. Maybe a wide receiver, but they have Antonio Callaway coming back. And also, um, you know, their defense has started up. So I don't have any problems with their defense. I don't have any problems with the offensive linemen. I just think they need a running back is what they ultimately need. Hey, here's an idea. What about, um, what about James White? Because I, 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 not so much in the running game, but if two is going to need a, a binky or a security blanket for, you know, third and five or third and six and less, might not be a bad fit um, just because he's, he's been that for Brady for however long. And he's going to go to a different, um, you know, at least a winning environment now. And it just might be a nice veteran presence in the backfield for not so much first and second down, but like I said, third and five, third and six is a nice security blanket for Tua. You know, if nothing else is downfield, get into James White and see what he can do. Just a thought. I, I, I don't disagree with that, but ultimately do the Patriots trade within the division to ultimately help? If it's for a second-round draft pick and they stink, they might. Yeah, They might, but is is James White worth a second-round pick? I, I don't think he is, and I don't think Tony Pollard is either. I'm just throwing out the second-round pick. You have an extra one. I get that, sure. but I'm not just throwing it out there just to just to get a running back. Maybe third or fourth-round pick, that's more like it because, I mean, running backs are dime a dozen, right? I mean, you, you can go out. Like, look at uh, L.A. Rams, for example. They lose Todd Gurley, who was one of their best running backs, and then you know they plug in Darrell Henderson, and they have Cam Akers. So, I mean— in my eyes, what I would do is I, I would try to make a run. If if they're available, Giff, I am totally set on going after James White. But if you know Dallas is open to trading, I would call up and ask for Tony Pollard. I would. But uh, that that's just a name I want to throw out there. I, I don't think it will happen. I think Miami's you know so so gun ho about playing Miles Gaskin, which I'm I'm not a fan of. He averages like three yards a carry, and he just hasn't been doing what he's expected to do. So I'm not going to reward bad behavior. I, I think he needs to play more and not just give him the position, make him earn it. And Jordan Howard has yet to play the field. Matt Breida, I don't know what happened with him with his transition from San Francisco to Miami. So they need to fill, fulfill that position because it's a huge need. It's a huge need for Tua's success. Sure. Um, I'll go with uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Um I think this is a destination for if they want to go receiver. So it, it kind of depends upon what they want to do. If they want to shore up their defense and say that they're good with their offense. I think this is a hot landing spot for Stefan Gilmore. Um, I think that their corners, their defense have been suspect being nice um, as far as the, the, the pass defense is concerned. Um, in my opinion, I think Gilmore has maybe lost a half step. Great. Gilmore, at 85% of what he was last year for Defensive Player of the Year, is still 
light years ahead of anybody that you got now. So if they feel they're good on offense and they need to shore up their defense, I think you go Stephon Gilmore and you go, you go all in. We got Russ, we got the offense. We think that we can make it. Let's go all in and, and, and go there. Now, if they feel like the amount for Gilmore is too much as far as the asking price from the Pats, and then they want to go all offense, could be an interesting spot for A.J. Green. Yes. Because D.K. Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, those are your one and those are your two. But to have A.J. Green, even at this point in his career, as a number three receiver. Is worth So it. your top four receivers are David Moore, A.J. Green, Tyler Lockett, T.K. Metcalf, and you just want to go all offense and like, all right, you know what? We're probably going to give up some points, but we're going to go ahead and, and basically, you know, outscore guys. Why not? That, that might not be a bad move either. So I think for the Seattle, for the for the Seahawks, it's going to kind of depend upon what identity they want to go. If they want to go be a little bit more balanced on both sides of the ball, they maybe go corner with, with Gilmore. But if they just want to go – all Voltron mode and go, okay, we're just going to go offense and just try to outscore everybody. Mm-hmm. Maybe go after AJ green and just, you know, score outscore everybody, you know, 35, 28. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a bad decision at all. They need to help. Um, you know, they need to help out DK Metcalf and Tyler lock it out offensively. So why not go out and get a guy like AJ green, who's explosive as well. Um, and plus he, you don't have to put as much pressure on him. Whereas, he, you know, if he goes to, like, a younger team and it's a plug-and-play type of situation and he's now the number one wide receiver, there's more weight put on his shoulders. Whereas if he goes to Seattle, he could just kind of mesh in with D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. You know, defensively, yeah, I think, um, you know, Stephon Gilmore is definitely a great fit too. Um, I, I want to get to the Ravens. Um, for, for whatever reason, you know, the Ravens are just, like, one or two pieces away in my eyes. And... I think Lamar Jackson needs help when it comes to receiving core. You know, I think that has a little bit to do, not a lot to do with his, you know, capability of throwing the ball. <laughs> um, I just think he needs promise, right? He needs some kind of, you know, commitment when it comes to, you know, offensive, you know, prowess, right? And when you look at a guy like Alshon Jeffrey for the Philadelphia Eagles, he he's hurt, like he's just sitting there and wanting to play, and once he comes back from that slight injury that he has, he's going to be in midseason form. Um, Now, Adam Schefter has said that the Eagles have been listening to offers for Deshaun Jackson, for Alshon Jeffrey, and for Zach Ertz. So if Philly's open to trading, why not try to make some business out of it and say, hey, you know what, to put us over the top or at least put us into conversation, with the Chiefs and the Steelers, let's go out and get a guy like Alshon Jeffrey or even Deshaun Jackson as a deep threat. Um, and a guy in my eyes that could be helpful for a lot of teams, like a, a, a veteran tight end, you know, maybe even for your, your Packers gift, is Zach Ertz. That, that's a guy, and again, he, he's coming off a, an injury too, but ultimately I, I think what you can do is really, you know, build this into an offensive standpoint and say, you know what? We have to do what we have to do before the playoffs start. And this is a time where we need to close that window. And we ultimately got to make a move in order to be successful, you know, throughout the stretch of the playoffs and into the Super Bowl. So I think teams are going to seriously 
if not ever, like now, do it now to make that one final push, that one move that you feel like you can you know, get over the top of some teams, like an A.J. Green for the Seahawks, you know, like a move for the Ravens with Alshon Jeffrey, or even your Packers going to get Zach Ertz. I can fully see, see that Philly is willing to deal, and why not talk to Philly, see what you can get you know, for Zach Ertz and, and or Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind Ertz. I mean, I I know he's had some injury history, um, but he's he's better than any tight end that they have right now. Right. So I think it would definitely be a uh, um, an upgrade for for the Packers there. Again, my only thing about the Packers dealing at the deadline is they really value their draft capital. I can't see them unless it's like a six. Unless Philly's asking for like a sixth or a seventh round draft pick. Yes. I don't. I don't see the the Packers doing that. I really don't. Um, so I had on, so on our show sheet, my third one is open and I'm going to go home run with this one. Okay. If you're Cincinnati, right. And you got Joe Burrow and he's, it's been pretty clear that I think the consensus is that he's going to be a stud. Okay. Um, he's been able to put up, relatively decent numbers with a offensive line that is a turnstile at best. Obviously they had a good game against Tennessee over the weekend. They did. Yep. But they've they've been a turnstile. If you want to ensure that Joe Burrow has a target to help his progression into being leaps and bounds a better quarterback later on down the line. He needs a receiver. I don't think Tyler Boyd is a number one option. I like that kid, I though. He, I, I, I think he's a great number two. Um, Speed-wise, I don't think he's there to be to have that. Here's just kind of an out-of-the-box thought. Why not go after Michael Thomas? Not a bad because idea. He, here's the thing. You're going to have high draft pick this year. Okay, whether it's top 10, top 15. You already got a quarterback. Say Drew Brees retires after the year, and you're not exactly certain that you have the answer at quarterback. You don't have the answer at quarterback. Taste the milk? Well, you don't. Yeah, well, hey, listen. They, they try to get him in as much as they possibly can to see if he's the guy. But – because um, they only take snaps away from one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history to try and figure it out for the future. Hey, maybe win now, New Orleans. Um, but if you want Joe Burrow to have that security blanket, maybe load up. First, second, maybe third round. Give up all of your options for Michael Thomas. Because regardless if, if Drew Brees retires at the end of the year this year or he comes back for one more year, you're still getting 40, 40 run year old Drew Brees versus a 25, 26 year old Joe Burrow. Maybe right. versus an adding, maybe you make a play for him. And who knows? Maybe Michael Thomas has made his situation so much worse in New Orleans. Maybe they'd be willing to deal him. Who knows? I, I don't think that's a bad destination for him. I, I totally agree with that. I, I just worry about him meshing with a younger. Younger quarterback, and I know he's only twenty five years old, but 
you know, he, he's definitely more experienced and, and a veteran savvy when it comes to, you know, the offensive side of the football. So I, I think Joe Burrow needs to earn his stripes, no pun intended. But I, I really think Michael Thomas will be huge, huge for that offense. I totally agree with you. Another name that comes to my eyes, and then we'll, you know, discuss that's BS, is um, Julio Jones. If you're the Atlanta Falcons, right, and you're in kind of the same boat, right, as far as, you know, having an elite receiver, you know, and, and trying to make the most of it and seeing where the guys want him or not, teams want him or, or not, and you have a guy like Calvin Ridley already behind him, so you don't need a number one wide receiver. You have Calvin Ridley. Why not see what that market's like for Julio Jones? Maybe you get, you know, a second-round pick and a third-round pick and try to build off of that. Because ultimately, I, I guess Julio Jones, what is he, 33, 32, 33 years old? I don't think there's much more wiggle room with his production. Um, maybe a team gets one or two, maybe even three more years out of him at best. So I, I, I think, honestly, you know, when, when we go back to it, when we go back to it, a team that I could see is Seattle really making a run at Julio Jones, too. And can you imagine DK Metcalf and Julio Jones on the same side of the football? That is immensely scary with Russell Wilson. That'd be, That'd be awesome. You, you, you can plug them into the Super Bowl when that trade happens. Um, but ultimately, Giff, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, we're playing a fantasy world, right? But I think teams really need to think about it, especially this year. It's probably the most pronounced year in the, you know, the big time movement. You got to understand that the timelines matter, right? When it comes to your quarterbacks and your defenses, where you stand in the NFL and ultimately your, your, your room to grow, you know, to get to the playoffs and beyond. So, I look at a team like Seattle and say, why not? I look at a team like Green Bay and say, why not? I look like, you know, I look at a team like Baltimore and say, why not? Why not, why not try to make that move and see who else is out there and, and try to get over the top? Julio Jones may be a good fit in Baltimore, too. You never know.